Welcome to the Church on a Hill podcast. This is Pastor Corey Lahiri, and the Church on a Hill podcast is a ministry of Palouse Federated Church in Palouse, Washington. We are glad you joined us for this podcast, and we hope that, that this will bless you. For our message today, we're going to be in the book of Revelation. That's the last book in the Bible. If you have a, a Bible that you brought with you, or there should be a Bible near you or in the entryway, we're in Revelation chapter uh, chapter 12, but we're really going to start with the very end of, of chapter 11 today. We've been working our way through Revelation, and you can catch up at PalouseChurch.org or our YouTube channel. Uh, there's no way I can catch you up right now, or that would be an extra sermon. Uh, but feel free to take notes if that helps you, or doodle um, inside the program. And last week I got one of my cherished possessions I love to get is notes from kids that kids write during the message. And, and this one didn't say you went too long, so that was great. Um, <laughs> Uh, but it's always fun to get an encouraging note or picture from a kid. Uh, but we're going to be in uh, Revelation 12, and we're going to see a cosmic battle between evil and good. And what I'm going to do today is I'm going to go ahead and just read it. And it, you might hear and go, wow, why did I come to this church today? And you might say, this is just wild what I'm hearing. But stick with it, because uh, we're going to go through it verse by verse and draw out some really... Uh, important lessons for our real life today. So our reading is going to start with the 19th, or that's the final verse of chapter 11, and then we'll go through chapter 12. So then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head his head, seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. Now, war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down that ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him 
by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth and after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. O oh Lord, may the, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, dear Lord. For you are truly our rock and our redeemer. You are truly our author and perfecter. And you alone should we rightly fear, Lord. You alone should we fully follow. You alone should our lives be founded upon. And I ask, dear Lord, that your spirit would touch the people listening to this message, whether they're online or in person or some distant day from now listening to the recording. I don't know, Lord. But your spirit can meet them and help them to be praying for themselves and for others who are listening to your word, Lord. So may this be an act of spiritual worship for those hearing. Help them to pray for themselves, Lord. Help them to pray for me as well and for other preachers that we would have your words, that you would be glorified, that we would be built up, that we would be on your side, standing up for you. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to go through this uh, verse by verse as best, best I can. So starting with that last verse of chapter 11, we're, we're seeing into the, the presence of God, right? God is, God is working this great plan that's being revealed in Revelation. He's showing it to the Apostle John, that's what we know, and, and showing John and the, and the churches back then and the church of the future that God has a plan. And part of this plan is God is preparing people who, who have relationship with him to eventually live in his presence. And so when we see into the temple, into the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, we're being told that we're, we're seeing into God's presence, right? And yet, then we're taken into this, this other scene in, in chapter 12, where, where we're going to hear this battle. And in 12 verse 1, we, 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 see, we hear and see this woman who is you know, who is this woman? She's clothed with the sun. The moon is under her feet. She has a crown of, of 12 stars. Who, who is she? And there is much debate over this. With Like a lot of things in Revelation, there is much debate. Uh, but I think the one that makes the most sense is that she is the faithful people of God, which it means the faithful Israel of the past, but also those who, who are the fulfillment of God's plan, who believe in him after he sent his son, Jesus Christ. So she is representative of that. I don't believe she's 
the Virgin Mary, just because it's listed as a woman. I think it's a, a representative of God planning to send his son, the Messiah, into the world. And so he uses the faithful people of Israel to do that. And then there's still ministry for the faithful people of God after the Messiah came to earth. And so I see that that's, that's who this, this woman is. And the 12 stars represent like the, 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 12, um, the 12 apostles. And the people of God, of course, give birth to the Messiah at 12.2. We can see that, that, that the, the people of God, the, the bride of Christ, if you want to say that, is the one who gives birth to Christ. Christ comes out of, out of the people of God, out of the tribe of Judah. But though this is happening and God is promising to be born into the world, and he, and he did through the Son of God, Jesus Christ, that doesn't mean evil is going to sit idly by. In 12 verse 3, we see the reality of evil. We see, uh, we see a red dragon. Now, some of the code language, we dealt with this long ago in a previous message, but there, one of the code languages in Revelation are colors. And red is for, for blood and for evil, right? And in this case, it's evil. And so this is not a good dragon in case you've seen some of those fun kids movies, right? Uh, this is not uh, from our growing up years. Uh, what was his name? Barney is a dragon? That's not what I was expecting. Isn't it? The magic dragon. Puff and Pete? Okay. This is not Puff and Pete, okay? This is a bad guy, all right? This is the devil who we're going to hear later. We'll set Barney aside. Okay, so, uh, so the, the, he, and we see uh, he's pictured here, and he, but he has, he's, we're told that he's evil, uh, we can connect the dots later to, on, but he has good numbers associated with him. He's got seven heads. Wait, that's the number of perfection, right? And he's got these kind of crowns on his seven heads, and he's got ten horns, and ten is the number of completion. So you could be saying, wait, in a previous message, you said that good numbers are like seven and ten and three in Revelation, and that's true. But evil forces can try to masquerade themselves as good, right? And so, of course, the red evil dragon is going to say, hey, look at me, look at me, I'm... I'm good, right? But he's not good. It's really clear in this section. He's not good. He's, he's, a, he's an evil beast, right? He's a representation of evil. In 12 verse 4, it says he sweeps down a third of the stars from heaven. And, and some see that as representing what the, the fallen angels that, that Satan took with him that are against giving glory to God and really had a revolt against God. And they're joining the evil one and the dragon then is looming before the woman, the faithful people of God, trying to stop God's child from being born into history. Now, let's think about that image. Isn't that represent, representative of some stories we see in the Bible where evil tried to stop God's movement in history? Moses was, uh, you know, a little Hebrew baby boy that was supposed to be killed at birth because he was a boy, right? It's like the evil one working through Pharaoh way back then in the Old Testament was trying to kill little baby boys, right? And then later on, of course, there were babies killed in Bethlehem when Jesus was born because evil was working through Herod the Great, you know, and was trying to stop the Messiah from being born, right? And so evil is lurking, trying to stop God's good presence, whether it's a prophet of old or whether it's the Messiah, Jesus Christ, right? And we see that, that, that Mary and Joseph had to take flight and, and take Jesus to Egypt, Right? Just to survive. But God provided for them. Right? He took care of them. He nourished them in difficult times. He, he even sent the wise men to them to like, you know, fill up their coffers right? and to take care of them. So verse 5, 12, 5 tells us that the Messiah was still born into the world out of the, the faithful remnant of God's people. 
right? And he's still fulfilling Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is mentioned there with the rod of iron. It's a, it's a messianic psalm, Psalm 2. And, it, it, you know, he, Jesus is coming, and though he is, he's meek and mild and he's humble, he did come to reign, and he is strong. He's really going to defeat sin and evil. And so he's coming to be the king of kings and the king of over peoples and, of all nations and tribes and languages, right? And so it may not look like it because evil's trying to undermine him and evil's working through empires and governments and powers and riches, but the king of kings is really the strong one, okay? And Jesus did come and he did conquer through the cross and his victory is real and is as strong as iron or better, right? And his resurrection then takes him up to God. He's, he's caught up to God and to his throne, right? And then the faithful people of God the faithful people of God continue to, to follow him and serve him, and they have to flee too, right? So you can see in here a continuation of, of, of the story of God that it's not just Mary and Joseph that have to flee, right? It's not just Moses in the Old Testament. He also had to flee. But the people of God, after Jesus Christ, there have been times where the people of God have had to retreat from society, right? whether it's the monks of, of a previous age or, or Christians now who've had to retreat maybe in China or other places to, to meet in their houses so that they aren't killed for their faith. This was happening in John's lifetime. You know, he, his own brother was killed for being a represent, representative of Jesus Christ. In the AD 60s, Rome started really persecuting Nero and then other emperors started persecuting uh, Christian people, and then, but Rome didn't just persecute Christians, they persecuted the Jewish people, and the Jewish people and the Roman people had, a, had mighty battles in the late 80s, in Jerusalem, and so part of what we're seeing here, and I think in the three and a half years, there's, there's future things that we could talk about with the three and a half years, and just get totally overwhelming, but also you should know that back in history, John's probably recollecting a bit when there was basically a three and a half year battle where the Jewish people of Jerusalem revolted against Rome and they threw them out, right? But then Rome, with all of its power, came back and just absolutely crushed the Jewish people between A.D. 68 and A.D. 70, and they tore down the temple and they cut down every fruit-bearing tree in the land and every olive tree, and then they dispersed the Jewish people throughout the known world at that time. And many people uh, had to seek refuge from the wrath of Rome and, and, and many Christians, we know this from ancient Christian history, many Christians saw it coming. They were, they were kind of given warning or prophecies uh, from Jesus even in some of his scriptures. And so many of them fled to wilderness and survived that wrath of Rome that came. So a lot of the people, the first listeners hearing this, they would have thought about how God had nourished them. God had helped them or their parents or grandparents survive the, the wrath of Rome. And, and what God's saying is, and I will do that again in the future. God will provide for his people. God nourishes his people. He did and he will, right? One of the patterns of Revelation is what was, what is, and is to come is being revealed. He did this, he is doing it, and he will do it. And if we face persecution in our times, he will nourish his faithful people and provide for his people because that's who God is. Okay. Verse 12, 7. Okay. These things are, are happening on earth, we're seeing. There's things happening on earth, difficult things happening on earth, but that doesn't mean that things aren't happening in the heavenlies, right? So in verse 7, we see that there is a battle between good and evil in the, in the heavenly realms. Michael, who is known as a protector of Israel, a 
archangel, this mighty archangel with the strength of God and some other angels uh, defeats the dragon and the evil angels in some kind of spiritual battle. We're not given the details of it, but basically a battle between good and evil and good wins, right? God's forces win. And in verse 8, it says they are cast out of heaven. And if you're sitting here saying, okay, these things are hard to comprehend. I am right there with you, right? What does that mean for us? Well, first, it just means that life isn't just what we can see, right? There's more going on. There's a spiritual realm. I think most of us who've lived a bit of life know that. Sometimes we even touch that, feel that, see that, experience it in good ways, but maybe sometimes occasionally experience it in the bad ways, right? Where evil comes at us or tempts us or a negative thought or attitude comes in our mind and we say, where is that from? This is not a, a neutral reality we live in. There, there is God's good, but there's also evil trying to wage war against God's faithful people. And so we're, we're given a glimpse here of how God fights against evil in the spiritual realm. But we are left wondering about many things, right? Uh, verse, verse 12, 9 says this, uh, that, that Satan, and Satan means accuser, accuser of God's people, accuser of the brethren. There's an old phrase that people used to say, maybe still say, but uh, Satan likes to accuse you, make you feel shamed, make you feel guilty for things that maybe you shouldn't feel guilty for or that Christ has already forgiven. He's an accuser, and, and, and the spiritual forces are, are saying, you cannot take over heaven. You are not in control of history, and, and you, can, you can live in time, but that's the only place for you to live, right? And so we see, and this is one of the great mysteries, we see that Satan or evil in previous times had access to God. If you've read the book of Job, you might have remembered a section where Satan kind of shows up and he is able to converse with God and say, have you considered my servant Job? And it's kind of a mind-blowing scene like, what are you doing? Letting, you know, God, what are you doing? But God has this plan to defeat evil. So he's, letting, he's proving to us that, that, that evil's arguments, that, that evil's ideas are not good. And so part of that is allowing him limited access, right? And, but no, it, it's, it's for a short time, right? And so though, though evil had some access in some ways to, to God's presence, it was not for all time. So they've been cast down from heaven. And now they're, they're starting their last attempts to thwart Christ and his followers that they're going to do on earth. And then a voice starts uh, declaring a beautiful song. Now, I can't I can't uh, be for sure or prove to you who this voice is. It says it's a singular voice declaring a beautiful song. And I, I tend to think it's a united voice of the 24 elders that we see in this beautiful throne room image in Revelation. These elders who represent, again, the faithful people of God. 24 is 12 plus 12, so like the 12 tribes of Israel plus the 12 apostles. They're sitting around the throne of God and they're rejoicing and praising God. And now I think they're declaring in a unified voice uh, the truth about God's salvation and his power. And we see that. We start to see that in, in 12 verse 11. Declaration of, of God's salvation and power through the blood of the Lamb, right? That he has true authority. He has truly conquered that because the real God really came to earth, the Son of God came to earth and, and shed his blood for us, there is real victory. And people who share that, give their testimony, uh, they have real power, okay? And, and when you love, when you love uh, others and love God and, and aren't even concerned of your own death, there's a power 
that works through God's people when they live and love like that. And, and John had seen that. His brother had, had loved others and loved Jesus so much that he gave his very life to represent Jesus, right? John was kind of the last man standing because most of the people that he knew uh, that were of that first generation had been killed. They, they did not love their lives more than they loved loving others and sharing the truth about Jesus, the Son of God, the Lamb, right? And so we need to know that that evil has been conquered by the blood of the Lamb and is conquered when we live faithfully our story of following Jesus. When we say, I'm going to love my enemies even when they don't treat me well. I'm going to pray for this broken, messed up world even when it seems to be getting worse at times. I, you know, that's what they did. I mean, Rome was not pretty, folks. And we look around our society and things and think, it's not pretty, but, but let's spend our time believing in the victory of the Lamb and loving uh, others and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ because the accuser has been defeated. He's not going to win. He has no standing in the heavenly court. If he's, he's seen as some, somewhat of a prosecutor throwing charges against us. And one scholar that I read said, yeah, he was a prosecutor, but now he's an out-of-work prosecutor in a sense. He, he's, he's been disbarred. Okay, he, he still knows the language and he knows the methods, but he's like, a, he's like a pitiful attorney that has no standing in the court anymore. You go in the court and you're declared innocent by Jesus Christ. You're forgiven. You come out, you're innocent. And then there's some guy in raggedy clothing, pretending to be good, accusing you, standing out of the court. And he, that's what he does to you. He accuses you and says, oh, are you really a Christian? Are you really faithful? Right? I know you. But guys, just picture him. He's just a dude in a worn-out suit standing outside the court. He doesn't have authority to, to really stand before God anymore. He's lost. He's a loser, right? Now, he does have some abilities. I'm not denying that. I'm not denying his existence. But he has been removed from heaven. He has no standing. He still stands outside, in a sense, yelling and accusing. But we should not listen to his voice. Instead, we should do what they're doing in heaven. We should declare the praise of God. We should declare the victory of the Lamb of God, right? We should, we should declare that Jesus Christ, he has saved us through his blood, right? And he continues to work. He continues to conquer evil. So we're going to continue to share the story of how he's changed my life, how I know he's changed others' lives, how he can bring hope into any person's life who believes because he is the conquering Lamb. So verse 12, verse 12, what they do uh, up there, that voice that's rejoicing. And really, this should be broken into phrase, uh, phrases, and I'm guessing in some of your Bibles it probably is. This was probably a song that early Christians sang. This, and they, they sang, they rejoiced, right? Rejoice. Rejoice in what Jesus has done, right? The evil one is defeated. They have no real authority, and the time is short. And we should sing that out, and we should believe that, and we should tell that to the devil, to his face, so to speak. When he, when he tempts you to despair, when he's trying to discourage you, if he's telling you heaven isn't real, if he's telling you someone in your life shouldn't be prayed for anymore or can't be saved, you say, who are you? Your time is short. You're against my God, and his, he is the God who came and gave his son for me. Who are you to say these things? You know nothing. Your time is short. Declare his praise. Verse 13, we see again, and this is where we can connect the dots, that the evil one is the dragon. He's been thrown down to earth, right? And we see that God is going to provide 
for, for his faithful people who are represented by this woman. He's going to fly them out or bring them out of rescue. And the amount of stories in Christian history where God rescues his people in just crazy circumstances, it's, it's amazing. If you haven't looked up the Battle of Dunkirk, just go do that on your own for one. I'm not going to talk about it. Just go do it. Battle of Dunkirk. It ended up not being a battle if you know your World War II history. Right? The Prayers of Dunkirk is a better name for it. Go look that up on your own. And you'll see God can rescue people. So the church has survived all kinds of challenges and battles. But the point is God is going to, has, is, and is going to nourish his people and keep his promises because God is God. Right? And they may kill us, but that doesn't mean God doesn't keep his promises because he's going to, to take his saints to be with him. They may, they may punish us, they may persecute us, but God is faithful and precious in his sight are the death of his saints. So he has used even the blood of his people to, to faithfully continue the story of his good love for this world. And the serpent doesn't like this, folks. In verse 15, we see the serpent spews forth the opposite of what we could call living water, right? He's spewing forth living, you know, Jesus gives us living water, but the serpent gives us death water, Right? And so he's spewing forth whatever dragon's breath and water tastes like and all of his sin and temptation and evil mixed together, just putrid water. It's the opposite of what we're going to see at the end of Revelation where God's going to have a river of life and he's going to give to people without cost, right? The water that truly, truly quenches every thirst. That's an image we're going to see at the end of Revelation. But here he's giving putrid water. Meant, you know, it's tempting people to think it's good, but it doesn't quench their thirst. How many things like that are in the world, right? right? Like a Miller Lite commercial. Like, oh, look how, oh, if I just drink all of that, I'll be super awesome, right? Or every other commercial that's on. If I just take this medicine, if I just do that, my life will be perfect, right? The devil's just pouring forth what looks like life, a type of water, but it's still gonna leave us thirsty and it's gonna leave us unhealthy and sick. He's trying to drown us in this, Right? and to sweep away God's people. But God has resources the devil doesn't. And we see in verse 16, we see God's creation fight back, right? God's creation, the earth itself responding. And it's beautiful. And, and, and Tolkien has some fun with this, I think, in the Lord of the Rings books where, where the, you know, the creation responds, the Ents respond, or the earth responds to the darkness of evil. If you're a Lord of the Rings nerd, you, you know the images already. They're coming to your mind. But, but we, we, we see that, that God's creation is not going to stand idly by to this putrid, false water. In, in fact, if you don't like Lord of the Rings, hopefully you like the Bible. Isaiah 55, 12 has this prophetic image. Isaiah 55, 12 says, for you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth in singing and the tr all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. And the point of this, the old prophet Isaiah is saying, God and God's creation wins. And I was listening to Rich Mullins, an old recording of him, a great Christian artist that passed away many years ago, but he was singing, he was talking about this, this, this picture of the, the trees clapping their hands and singing. He was saying, to all you people who think that's just a metaphor, get over yourselves. This is God's creation. What if he really does make the trees clap their hands? What if the, the hills really do rejoice and sing? They're made by God after all, right? And we in our smartness and everything like to say, oh, it's just a metaphor. Maybe it's much greater than a, a metaphor and an image. 
God's fighting back against evil with all of his forces, including, including his beautiful creation. What if the Palouse Hills one day rise up and just swallow the evil, right? The weep claps for joy. The barley belts forth. I don't know, right? But I know God can do it because, again, God is God. So the dragon, folks, is not happy. Verse 17 tells us the dragon is not happy. He's furious. He's, he, he's, he's not going to give up without a fight. He's seeking more destruction. So, so we need to beware. But he is a pouting dragon. Can you just see him standing there with his hands on his hips? His crowns are all knocked sideways. And he's just, you know, this did not go as he planned, right? All of his water is getting swallowed up by God's creation. Michael's beating him up really bad and all of his forces. His time is short, but now he's standing there saying, I'm going to do something. Standing there furiously and pitiful on the sand of the sea, and that's where he's hatching his plan to pick on you. All right? So there is a real battle. God is telling us part of the gift of Revelation is to tell us there is a real battle, the true battle, right? There are real participants. The faithful people of God are part of the participants. They have been through the history, back to, to Israel and even before the formation of Israel. And then through the church, the faithful people of God are part of God's battle against evil, that, that we as humanity, we really brought this in into the world. And we see, we do see that one of the participants is a personified evil, the evil one, Satan. And Satan has messengers, and that could be mind-blowing for some people to think and think, I don't know if I can go there yet. Well, just, I just want you to think that there is personified evil. There, there is a condensation of evil into real forms, and we, yeah, to, to say it's personified or given names, it makes sense. And, and they, they come against God and God's goodness, and the scriptures declare this to us. So we see we see the archangel, Michael, as one of the participants who is a representative of God. He's one of just many, but he is fighting and striving for God and God's goodness, right? And we see another participant in the, the battle is the lamb, our savior, Jesus Christ. And he's already really won the battle. And we also see those evil forces, though Christ has won, are not going to give up. So with all this being true of the true battle, that means for us, a lesson for us is that we need to have spiritual striving in our life. We need to have spiritual striving, meaning we need to strive for what is good. We heard about it today in Romans 7. Sometimes we feel like I'm not doing what I should be doing. Right? I'm doing things I shouldn't be doing. And, and, and part, Paul is kind of explaining his striving in the, and, and we've got to do it in the strength of Christ and with the Spirit's leadership. If we don't, like Martin Luther said way back in the 1500s when he wrote A Mighty Fortress is Our God, He Strength, he said if we don't do it in Christ, our striving would be losing. The lyric uh, in English is, did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. So my friends, strive against evil and temptations and the difficulties you have in life. But Christ is your strength. You are not alone. You, you cannot do it on your own strength. The archangel Michael did not do it on his own strength, right? It's the strength of the lamb and his testimony, the love of Jesus and what he did for you. That's your strength and the power of the spirit with you. 
So striving is something that Christians should do. It's not earning your salvation. It's not working off your sins. It's none of that. What it is is it's pressing hard into Christ. It's daily remembering that he is your hope and salvation. It's daily saying, I'm going to have temptations that come my way, and the Spirit is going to help me. It's fighting against those sins that so easily entangle us as believers and believing that God always provides a way out for us. It's choosing to put our armor on every day, as Paul writes about in Ephesians 6. It's looking to Christ as our leader every day to love our neighbor like Jesus loved us, right? It's praying for the helpless and the hopeless situations in our families and in our communities every day because we strive and we don't give up because the Lamb of God shed his blood for us. We strive and we don't give up in the battle. This is a battle. And Jesus taught us, keep on praying and don't give up. Paul writes in Galatians, do not grow weary of doing good for in due time there will be a harvest. Do not grow weary. Keep striving. And so when you are weak, remember what the scriptures tell us, then you are strong. Because if you are weak but you are running to the Lord, you are far stronger than whatever, whatever is coming against you, whoever is coming against you. The Lord is greater than the devil and the devil's best moves, and he doesn't have many of them. That's the truth. And he keeps plucking the same strings over and over again. And so your fight, your life is worth the striving do not give up. Do not give in. Give yourself permission to fight poorly and weakly. That's my message for you today, Barley. The best kind of battle is to say, I am poor and weak and needy, but the Lord Jesus Christ loves me and his blood covers me. Come at me, Satan. You got nothing compared to that. So many of us are trying to fight, but I wish I'd done better, or I, I could be this, or I, I want to be that. That's false strength. Or come at him with your religious pride. I do so much of this. I know this many Bible verses. I do this. Bible verses aren't bad, of course. But if you come at him with your own strength, he's just going to laugh at you. Come at him with the blood of the Lamb and say, I know who my God is. And my God knows who I am. And you have no place here. Say that in the darkness of the night when difficult thoughts come to mind. Say that when you're tempted to give up praying for that lost cause, right? We gotta fight, we gotta fight. We must both fight and flee, and we must do so by faith in our Savior. That's from Pastor Scotty Smith of Nashville. We gotta fight and flee. Sometimes we gotta, the church has, has run away to nourish and take care of itself. Sometimes we're in seasons where we just gotta take care of ourselves and we're not actively going on the offense, but we're just being filled by God. And so we see the woman, the faithful people of God, flee to the wilderness at one point. And the church, at many times, in many places, has stepped out of the ways and the places of the world saying, I'm not going to engage in that. That's just like a tar baby, if you know the old story, right? I'm not going to engage in some things on social media or whatever. It's not doing any good. I'm just going to step out of that and be nourished, right? And, and, and continue to represent Jesus. But I'm going to step out of some of that stuff. I'm going to flee in order to represent Christ. Sometimes we do that. Sometimes we do that by going to our Christian camps like Ross Point. You know, you, you retreat from the world. The kid, we take the kids' cell phones away, and, and, and hopefully at adult retreats they do that too, but I doubt it. Um, and, 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 and Christians have a haven where they just rejoice together and they're filled with the Spirit, but not so they can stay there forever, but so that they can engage in God's work in the world, right? Life is not all fleeing. It is a fight. J.C. Ryle wrote a great book, Holiness, if you want to read a good book this summer. Holiness is a great book written in the 1800s, uh, especially great, I think, not to be sexist or anything, but for young men in particular. Uh, that's when I read it, so maybe that's why I'm thinking of it. Holiness, and he has a chapter in there called 
the fight. And it's really about fighting against sin and temptation. And it reminds me of when I was a wrestler in college, just one year, if you think I was, had some career, I didn't really, but one year we had this guy come in, he had cauliflower ears, I, his nose was probably broken 17 times, his name was Joe, he was probably five foot one and five foot one wide, like broadest shoulders you could ever see, and you know, but had like 2% body fat, he'd been second in the NCAA Division I like two or three times, you know, there's only one guy he couldn't beat, right, and, and he would come and he would train with us, like, and, you know, in wrestling, you gotta, you know, try to get a guy's legs or take him down different ways. I don't think I ever touched Joe's legs. I couldn't do a single leg, double leg on. He was just tough. But the funny thing about Joe was he had a high-pitched voice, right? I mean, you didn't tell him it was funny, though, right? <laughs> so you're wrestling him, and he's tougher than nails, and then he'd come over to give you an inspiring talk. And this, is, this was the title of his talk every time. He'd say, boys, it's a fight. It's a fight. It's a fight. It's a fight. And I know I've told the story here, but not in many years. And... <laughs> you got to not laugh at a guy like that. And I, and I never did, right? I, uh, but God has reminded me through that example of that one man, it was a fight. And it, part of what he taught me is your defense matters. He had hard hands, right? And he was always guarding his core. Hard hands guarding his core because he knew it was a fight. He knew that if, if, if you let the evil one or your opponent in your time, you know, who, who, who knows there's a certain amount of time and he's trying to get you in the time that's left in the match, you got, you, you're in trouble. So you've got to have hard hands and you've got to protect your core. The way the scriptures say it, says it, with the devil who knows his time is short, you've you, you got to guard your heart. He knows his time is short. So you've got to protect your core. You've got to have hard hands. You've got to have good defense. And that's God's word. That's prayer. That's the prayer of others. That's your prayer, Right? Proverbs 4.23 says this, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Are you guarding your heart? Your heart is going to get attacked by so many messages out there in the world, maybe by nasty people in your life, I don't know. But are you there protecting yourself? Right? Good defense. Above all else, the scriptures say, guard your heart, everything flows from it. If you let a disease into your heart, it's danger time, right? And he knows he doesn't have that much time left, but if he can discourage the hearts of a bunch of Christians, then he's going to affect how much good we can do in this world. And boy, he's been trying to do that lately. So friends, what we got to do is guard our heart and help one another. Guard our hearts. Don't believe lies, right? Don't get discouraged. God still loves you. God is with you. Instead, be, beware and be encouraged, Right? He's desperate, so his time is short, but his time is coming to an end. And Paul writes this, and it's easier to read than to live out, but he says this in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Small and momentary trials, Paul says, that's how I think of it. Be encouraged. Yes, you're going to go through struggles, right? And you're going to have to guard yourself. And, and you've got to be aware that evil's out there. And he's desperate. And he's going to come at people. And he's trying to undermine people and tear apart local churches. But know this. It's best to go through those troubles. And they're not going to last forever. And they're going to produce in some way a glory, a, an honor to God that's going to last forever. So, in conclusion, do this. Claim verse 11 for your life. The verse 11 reality for your life. Let me read verse 11 again. 
And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Claim that for your life. He's, you're, you can be part of this, right? You can be part of the they. And they, you, me, we have conquered him, the evil one and all his stupid minions. We, how? By the blood of the lamb, the love, the love of the son of God who loved us so much. He gave his very life for us, taking our sin, our darkness upon himself and throwing it in the grave when he truly died for us. He, he beat death to death with his death Right? And he rose from the grave to give us life victorious. And, and, and we, we have conquered him, the evil one, by the blood of the lamb. And now the word of our testimony, the word of my testimony, that Jesus Christ really did change my life. I am who I am because of the grace of God. And if you're a believer here today, that's true for you. Whatever your story is, you are who you are by the grace of God. And we need to say that. And be thankful to our God and the story he has done in our lives. And we need to love our lives, not even unto death. Meaning, I'll give my very life to represent the story of Jesus Christ. This verse is not just for the past martyrs or for the distant future when the great tribulation comes. It's for believers now. It's for all time. The blood of lamb, the sacrifice of Jesus stands as, and always will stand as real proof in history of the real love of God the God who became a real human, who really suffered and died for us, facing our worst, right? Bearing upon himself our darkness to, to bring us into his glorious light so that we could see in his divine presence, as Revelation says, and one day we will join him there. And so now we are declaring this through our lives, through our testimony. We stand as people who believe that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ matters and always will matter, no matter what men may say. And it's not just a past historical event, but for me, it's life and breath and living water, and I know someone out there needs it too, right? So I don't know what battle you're going to face this week, this month, or the final years of your life, or until the Lord returns. I do not know what is yet to come, but I do know the one who is faithful and loves you. And I know that darkness cannot persist in his light. Lord God, you are so good. And you love each person here and online and in this whole world with a depth of love that we can, we can not fully fathom. Thank you, dear Lord, for the, the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the testimony that you author and perfect in our lives. Help us to strive by your strength and by your spirit against the evil and temptations that come into our lives. Help us to guard our heart. Help us by your strength to fight and with your wisdom to flee when we need to. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. On the Connect card and just on the screen, there's some next steps. And uh, maybe you need to fight or flee with faith and you want to check that down and I can be praying for you to fight or to flee with faith. Uh, maybe you like prayer for a spiritual battle. You can share with me if you want. You can leave it general. But we can be praying for one another's spiritual battles. We each have them. You're not alone. And I want to encourage you to memorize that verse 11 that we talked about today. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they love not their lives even unto death. That's a next step you could take this week to encourage you. Hello, friends. I truly pray that this message blessed you. And if you want to find out more about our ministries or listen to 
other messages or videos of our worship services, you can check us out at palousechurch.org or search for Palouse Church on YouTube or check us out on Facebook or we are on uh, the Bible app. There's different ways to find us. You can always email me, Corey, C-O-R-E-Y, at palousechurch.org uh, to connect with me or to send me a prayer request. We really appreciate you connecting with us in this way, and may God bless your day.